As I was preparing this message yesterday, I, I sensed the unusual presence of God in a special way. And any time I, I feel that when I, I'm studying and praying, I know God has a special work that he wants to do in your life. And I want you just to open your heart to him today. And, and you're going to have a wonderful opportunity as we go through the service just to worship Jesus and to exalt him. I'm excited about what God's going to do in you because I know he's going to do it in me again. Aren't you amazed at how the Bible, which is the infallible, inerrant, living Word of God, just can take five or six verses and just tell you the whole story? In other words, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that give us the great Gospels, account of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. Then you get over in Acts and the other epistles, but... I'm telling you, you, you just come across a passage and it becomes, uh, you say, man, this is just about the clearest explanation of why Jesus came and the clearest explanation of what Jesus did and the clearest explanation of what Jesus is doing now in six verses. I mean, six verses. And uh, I, I just marveled. I said, Lord, Paul just had, somehow, the Spirit of God, when he was writing Philippians, said, Paul just, and he just told it. And in six verses, he told the whole gospel story. He did, without question. And that is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And here you have the whole Christmas story, but you have the gospel, the absolute, clear, unmistakable gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So it'll be on the screen. Let's just read it together. And I want you to notice, and I got this idea from somewhere else years ago. It's kind of easy to remember. Paul talks about the cradle, the birth of Christ. Then he talks about the cross in these six verses. And then he talks about the crown. And then he talks about his coming in six verses. So let's look at it as we read these verses together. It says, let this mind be in you. You just follow me as I read it. and You read it too. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in other words, you know, the word there in the Greek is he was the same substance. The word usia is deity, deity. Jesus is 100% man, the son of man, but he's 100% God, full deity in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus existed from eternity as 100% God, who being in the form of God did not Consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't take anything away from God's glory, steal anything away from God. Who thought who did, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself 
of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. So that's all about the birth of Christ. That's what we call the cradle. Made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a bondservant. And made in the likeness of man and came in appearance as a man. But then we move on just in a few words. In this eighth verse, he says, uh, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And here it is. Here's the cross. And became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. So we come from the cradle, why he came, who he was. And then we get to the cross and said he came to die. We're born to live. He was born to die. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Who did he obey? His father. So it must have been the father's will for the son to die. It had to be the Father's will for Jesus to take our place on the cross. It had to be the Father's will for Jesus to shed his precious blood so that what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Who humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. So we go from the cradle here why he came and then we go to the cross and then you move on to the next part of the verse and, and you see the crown. In the next verse, it says in verse 9, Therefore, since he humbled himself, came as a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, therefore, since he was obedient to the death, even the death of the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the crown. Highly exalted. A name above every name. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess the highly exalted one from the cradle to the cross to the crown and to his coming. Every knee will bow. Let's just take a moment and look at the cradle. It talks about he laid aside, you know, his deity, took upon himself humanity, and the thing we need to understand, and I'm not going to belabor this because I want to get to the second part because we're going to have the Lord's Supper, is that the birth of Jesus was a miraculous birth. Yes, it was prophesied. Even the town that he would be born in. Micah said, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, there will come one out of you that will rule the nations. There were two Bethlehems, so he wanted to be sure which Bethlehem it was. And truly, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So his birth was prophesied. But it was a miraculous birth because remember what the angels 
said to Mary. Luke 1, 30 and 32. Look at what it says. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It says, And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And we go on and read, and it says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And then he goes on and Mary says, And he will rule over the, reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then, of course, Mary uh, said to the angel, How can this be, since I ha- do not know a man? I do not, how can this be? And listen to this miraculous birth. And the angel said to her, think about this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One who is born of you will be called the Son of God. There's never been a birth like it before. Jesus conceived in the womb of Mary by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. And there'll never be another birth after it. It's a miraculous birth. Conceived in the womb of Mary, who said, the angel had said to Mary, you're blessed of women and you're in favor with God. And the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in her womb. And, you know, and he said, you just got to understand He's the son of God. It was a miraculous birth. Now, people said many times when I was first getting started in the ministry, when there are a lot of liberal theology around and it's still around, well, the virgin birth is not important. Let me tell you something about liberal theology. If it can deny any part of the word of God, it will, okay? But I think you ought to take all uh, liberal theology and flush it down the toilet. That's exactly the way I feel about it. You said, Brother Fred, you need to be more... That's not good. I don't care, but I'm telling you, I hate liberal theology. It robs people of the truth of God. They say, well, oh, he he couldn't have been born of a virgin. That would have been a miracle. Are you telling me we worship a God that is not a miracle-working God? If so, we're out of business, friend. But God is God, and he can do anything he wants to do. And he conceived his blessed and holy son in the womb of Mary, And it was a miraculous birth, and it was a birth that absolutely ultimately led to the cross and the cradle, the the cross and the crown, and it changed the world. Remember, we celebrate the miraculous birth of the Son of God, made like we are, yet without sin. Now, here's the value of the, the, the main truth about the virgin birth. Since he had no earthly father, Jesus did not have a sinful nature. He was born without a sinful nature. Had he been of the seed of Adam, then the sinful nature of Adam would have been passed down to Jesus, and he would have been born just like you and I were with a sinful nature. But he had no earthly father, no biological father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he was the last Adam. He was born without a sinful nature, and he lived on earth as a man full of the Holy Spirit without a sinful nature, and he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. It was a miraculous birth, and it had everything to do with Jesus living a sinless life. 
But you know, it doesn't stop there. Paul not, Paul not only talks about the cradle, then he goes quickly to the cross. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You know, the miraculous thing about God, well, he's just God. But you know, the awesome thing is, before there's ever a need, God always has, already has a supply. But you know, before there was ever a fish, there was water. Before ever we were made of the dust of the ground and God breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living, so there was already oxygen. I have found over the years that for the, you ever have a need, God already has, has a supply. We've seen that in Luke 4.18. We started, you know, just from a few people. And we needed somebody to do this and somebody to do that and somebody to do this. We never had to search. They just showed up. God just, they were all, I said, Lord, you already had these people ready. You already had the place ready. And see, I just once again saw that before there's ever a need, and by the way, you have a need this morning. I want to tell you something. You're saying, I'm wondering if God can supply my need. I want to tell you, before you ever had a need, God had the supply. And that leads me to say, you know, Adam's sin did not catch God by surprise. He created man with a free will. And he gave him a choice. Now, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. But if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Now, the reason was because God didn't want, Adam and Eve already had the knowledge of good and evil and they knew that they could go to the Father anytime, and because they had perfect fellowship with the Father, and the knowledge of good and evil would come out of their relationship with God. And they already had that. And so he said, if you depend on anything else, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He had a choice. He could eat or not eat. He ate. Eve ate. Sin entered the bloodstream of the human race. And it's still rampant all across this world. But you know, this didn't catch God by surprise. Did you know before there was ever a cross on earth, there was a cross in the heart of God? Did you know what? Oh, yeah. The, it was God's plan when man sinned, and he knew we would sin. Did he cause us to sin? No. Did he want us to sin? No. But he gave us a free will. And so, therefore, he didn't want a bunch of robots that had to obey him and love him and follow him. He wanted people to love him and obey him and follow him out of their heart because they made that choice. But, you know, God had a plan. I want you to listen. Look at 1 Peter. In Galatians 4.4 4 is the first verse I want you to see. Look what it says. In the, but when the fullness of time had come, God had the exact time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Notice no mention of a man, sinless nature. Born of a woman, born under the law. Well, why? why? What was the purpose of it? 
goes on and says, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So in God's perfect timing, Jesus invaded this world, born under the law, kept it perfectly, sinless, to redeem those that were under what the Bible calls the curse of the law. And so God had a plan, had a perfect full time. Jesus was right on time when he came. I hadn't thought about this, but I'm going to tell you something. He's going to be right on time when he comes back again. Hallelujah. He's not going to be late. And so, listen, there was a cross in the heart of God before there was ever a cross on a hill called Golgotha. You know, the Bible says that. In 1 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Peter, I thought it was Timothy. Well, look at first. Let's find out. Look at First Peter one eighteen through twenty one. Let's see if that's the right verse. Okay, that's the right verse. You say you ought to be sure. Give me a break. Come on. <laughs> Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the uh, tradition of your fathers. Read on. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb, without spot and blemish, we weren't bought. Our soul and our eternal life was not purchased with silver and gold, but the only way it could be purchased was with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb, without spot and blemish. But now look on. He, he indeed, now listen to this, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world that his son would redeem us by his precious blood. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times to you. And it goes on and say, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope might be in God. The cross was in the heart of God from eternity. He knew we would sin. But he had an amazing plan. He said, you know, the wages of sin is death. So in order for people to be forgiven, someone or something has to die. And so in the Old Testament, it was lambs and goats and doves. But they could never take away sin. They never could only cover it. Well, the time had to come then when God left heaven and became earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And there laid down his life. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I give it up a ransom for many. And so there was a cross in heaven. God had a plan to redeem you through the blood of his son before there was ever even a human being on earth. Revelation 13, 8, we all, this is the one that talks about how that Jesus, look what it says. And who dwell on earth, all who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names, who have, whose names have not been written in the book of life. All those who've never been written in the book of life will worship him. It says in the book of life of the lamb, now get this, slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus died 
in eternity. He's the Lamb who in the heart of God. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God in the heart of God that was slain before we ever came to live on this earth. I want to tell you something. We'll never understand and never, we can never exaggerate. We can never uh, fully appreciate and on this side of heaven, I think, the cross. I, I just, that Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, was beaten, mocked, his beard pulled out, spit in his face, put a crown of thorns on his head, nailed him to a cruel Roman cross, and there Jesus Christ died. With all, The Bible says the Lord placed on him the sin of us all. Did you know all your sin when Je- was on Jesus when he was on that cross? My God, all my sin was on Jesus when he was on that cross. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so as we come to the cross, it's hard to wrap our arms around how awesome God's plan is and what an awesome thing Jesus did. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. You know, that's why after Paul was converted and spent that time alone with Jesus in the desert, and Jesus gave him Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd, gave him the word of God. That's why Jesus went into detail with Paul about the Lord's Supper. That's why he went into detail with Paul about communion because he wanted Paul to communicate to us that if we remember anything, thank God he rose Lazarus from the dead. Thank God he cast the demons out of the demon, demoniac in the, in the tomb of the Gadarenes. Thank God that, that, that uh, uh, he saved Zacchaeus, the head of the mafia in Jericho. Thank God for all of that. But what really matters is his miracles were awesome. His teaching was glorious. None's ever been like it. But that would have all been in vain unless Jesus had died on the cross. And that's why in the Lord's Supper he said, 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three. Let's just look at this. Now he's going to tell us what we're fixing to do. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, now take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now this do in remembrance of me. He's saying, remember my death now. Then he goes on and says, and when he had given thanks, he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup 
It's the new covenant. Boy, did we need a new covenant. The old covenant was based on law, and the promises were not near as good. The new covenant is based on grace, and it's purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus, and is based on better promises. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Two times he said, remember. And then he said, as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you are proclaiming Jesus died for me. Jesus died for sinful men and women. Jesus died so that men and women might live. Every time you take that supper, he says, you're remembering my death until I come. You're just remembering my death until I come back. There, there are two passages on the cross that, that have always just stirred my heart. And, and I want you to just look at them and let, let the truth of them sink in your heart. It's in the first one is in the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And this is a tremendous picture uh, of Jesus having died on the cross. Listen, stay with me now. He goes into heaven. And in, on earth, there was an earthly tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies. In the holy of holies on earth was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And the high priest would go in there on the day of atonement and would sprinkle the, uh, the mercy seat with the blood of a, of a goat or a lamb to cover their sins for a year. But now the writer of Hebrews says, but oh, now Jesus, when he died on that cross, then, then he went into heaven. Now look what he did. But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, of a greater and more perfect tabernacle. There was a tabernacle on earth, but there was a heavenly tabernacle. And so Jesus doesn't go into the Holy of Holies on earth and sprinkle the mercy seat. He goes to the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkles the mercy seat. It says, of a good, uh, uh, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle made with hands that not of this creation. Now listen to this. This is what always has stirred me. Not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, he entered the holy of holies in heaven. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Do you know what he did in the holy of holies? He took his own blood, and seven times he sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood. And now when God sees you in Christ, when he sees you in Christ, you know how he always sees you? He sees you through the mercy seat. That's the way he sees you. He looks right through the mercy seat. Sees our sins washed away. I'm talking about saved people by the blood of the lamb. God sees us through the mercy seat. No wonder he, he forgives us. No wonder our sins and iniquities he can remember no more. Because the mercy seat in heaven is sprinkled, covered 
with the blood of Christ. And it says, if the blood of goats and calves, to the, you know, said, it, said, how, it says, if the blood of goats and calves, ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh. Now look at the next verse. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit offered himself to God without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Today, if you're saved, today, if you're forgiven, today, if you're a child of God, God looks at you, hallelujah, through the mercy seat, sees it covered with the blood of Christ, and says, you are forgiven, hallelujah, you're forgiven. And it's not because of anything you ever did, it's because the mercy seat in heaven is covered with the blood of the Son of God. How in the world could anybody ever believe and teach that you're saved by good works? God have mercy. If you could be saved by good works, why in the world would Jesus do all he did? All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven, not much less the worst five minutes of my life. So, man, you get to thinking about the cross. The cradle, but then there's the cross. And then there's one other picture of what Jesus did for us. In chapter 10 of Hebrews 11 through 14, just look at this. You know how sufficient the cross is. Every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. See, Jesus had not come, so they'd go and they'd go there uh, uh, into the inner court and sprinkle, you know, the blood. They'd have the outer court where the bronze altar was and they'd kill the lambs and shed the blood and then they'd go into the holy place and minister, but they never did get to go in the holy of holies. It says, and so the work was never done. One went the holy, holy, the high priest once a year. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But look at this. This man, by the way, his name is Jesus. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Man, one sacrifice for sin forever. Set down at the right hand of God. Because it was finished. No more sacrifices. No more goats. No more lambs. Hey, Sin, past, present, and future, had been paid in full by the Son of God. He offered one sacrifice of sin forever. And it goes on a couple of verses down and says, For by one offering, by one offering, he perfected those who are being sanctified. All right? A miraculous birth, but a marvelous, all-sufficient death the cross and that's what we're going to observe right now we're going to take the unleavened bread and remember his death we're going to drink of the fruit of the vine and remember his death and we're going to thank him that he died in our place and that because he died we can be forgiven and we can live I'm going to ask our men to come at this time, and we're going to pass out the uh, unleavened bread. And uh, together, on this season of the year when we celebrate his birth,
Man, we're going to glory in his death so that there can truly be joy in our heart. Joy in our heart because the Lord has come to us and forgiven us. Father, bless now the passing of these, the bread, unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Lord, let us remember this is the body of Jesus that was broken for us. This is the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And let us glory in the cross. Let us glory in the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, in that upper room, he washed the disciples' feet, showing them the heart of a servant. But then he observed the Lord's Supper with them, or the Last Supper. As we take the unleavened bread, which is a picture of sinlessness, we're reminded of Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. This is my body, he said. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it. They all understood about the blood of the lamb. Passover had gone on for many years. When John said, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, every Orthodox Jew knew exactly what he was talking about. And he said, you know, this is a new covenant not based on law, do, but it's based on grace, what I've done for you. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He said, take it and drink it. As I reflected on this, That great, great song just began to fill my heart. And tears began to fill my eyes as I thought of the old rugged cross. And I want us to sing together in a moment. We're going to lower the lights. And we're going to let all the light shine on the cross. Now, you know, we don't worship a piece of wood. It's a symbol. It's a reminder of the price Jesus paid for our salvation. And so, as we focus in on that cross, and as we sing the words, first, second, and third, first, third, and fourth verses of the old rugged cross, I want you just to worship God. Listen to the words. Let them speak to your heart. So Gordon will lower the lights and we'll just kind of focus on the cross. And you notice it's empty. It's empty, y'all. It's empty. Because it's finished. You know, it's finished. Jesus completed the work his father gave him to do. Sin is vanquished. The world, the flesh, and the devil are defeated because of the old 
rugged cross. Sing it to the Lord. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will exchange it someday for a crown in the old rugged cross stained with blood so divine the wondrous beauty I see for it was all that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true. It shame and gladly then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share so I'll you know, in Philippians 2, it goes from the cradle to the cross to the crown. And we, no- we notice in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has highly exalted him. 
Now, we're talking about Jesus. That, that cross is empty. Jesus is alive. He's alive. It is finished. He's seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority in heaven and on earth. So, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember his name is above every name. Jesus. When you mention his name, everything changes. You can be in a room. You can be at the table with your family. There's something about that name. There's power in his name. Power. And at the name of Jesus one day, every knee is going to bow. And guess what? Every t- tongue is going to confess. Not some, but every tongue is going to confess. What? Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. What a glorious, glorious crown. He's the king, y'all. Jesus is the king. He's the king. The Father has put it all in his hands now. And there's a song that we love to sing. And I want us to just acknowledge that he is crowned right now. It's called All Hail King Jesus. All Hail Emmanuel. Just worship Jesus and sing this to him right now. Would you join with us as Ed leads us in singing this? All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. coming every knee is going to bow I got to thinking of the great white throne judgment I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and men were judged according to what was written in the book and whoever was not found in the 
book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, Jesus is king. He's crowned. And he's coming back. He's coming back, I'm telling you. So let's just sing that celebration song that the king is coming. He's coming, y'all. It's sooner than you think. He's our hope, amen? Sing it to the Lord. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. And now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. In a moment, we'll receive our offering. But before we do, there's a song we sing at Christmas that we could sing every day. Three parts of it. And this will be kind of our way of saying to Jesus, this is how we feel. This is where we are this morning as we approach his birth. We'll sing that and then I'll pray and then we'll receive our offering. Go ahead. Lead us, Brother Fred. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Cry. 